Nathan was laughing too, with pleasure and satisfaction. See, he was saying to the camera, we are a happy family. I leant over and touched Nathan's face in the photograph. Clever, loving Nathan. He considered that the job of fatherhood was to keep his children so amused that they didn't notice the unpleasant side of life until they were old enough to cope. But he also loved to make them laugh for the pleasure of it. Back to the problem. As always with the paper, there were political factors. None significant in isolation, but taken together, they could add up. I said to Minty, I think I'd better go and fight. Otherwise, Timon might get into the habit of paring down books, don't you think? The don't you think was cosmetic, for I'd made up my mind. But I'd fallen into the habit of treating Minty just a little in the way I'd treated the children. I thought it was important to involve them on all levels. Timon was the editor of the Weekend Digest in the Vistimax group for which we worked, and his word was law. Minty was searching for Dan Thomas's telephone number in her contacts book. If you say so. Do I hear cheers of support? Minty still didn't look round. Perhaps better to leave it, Rose. We might need our ammunition. Do you know something that I don't, Minty? Not a silly question. People and events in the group changed all the time, and one had to become rather protean, undercover, and dangerous to survive. No. No, of course not. Minty's phone rang, and she snatched it up. Books? I waited a moment or two longer. Minty scribbled on a piece of paper, an ego here bigger than your bottom, and slid it towards me. This implied that she would be on the phone for several minutes, so I left her to it and walked out into the open-plan space that was called the office. Maeve Otley, from the sub's desk, maintained with a deep sense of grievance that it was a voyeur's paradise. It was true. There was nowhere for staff to shake themselves back into their skins or to hide their griefs and despairs. Only the fishbowl, where the owners hadn't bothered to put in a rock or two. Like everyone else, I had adapted and grown used to it. On the floor below... Stephen was surrounded by piles of computer printout and flat plans and looked frantic. When he saw me bearing down on him, he raised a hand to ward me off. Don't, Rose, it's not kind. It's not kind to books. What is so important that, that it thieves my space? A shepherd's pie? A nasty demolition job on a cabinet minister. I can't tell you who. Stephen looked important. The usual story. A mistress with exotic tastes, cronyism, undeclared interests. Apparently his family don't know what's coming. And it's top secret. I felt a shudder brush through me, of distaste and worry. I hated to think of what exposure did to the families. How would I cope if I woke up one morning to discover that my everyday life had been built on a falsehood? Would I break into pieces? The effect on the children of these stories of deceit and betrayal didn't bear too much thought either. But I accepted that there was little I could do, except resign my job in protest. And are you going to do that? asked Nathan quite properly. No. So my private doubts and occasional flashes of guilt remained private. By chance, Nathan stepped out of the lift with Peter Shaker, his managing editor, as I was going in. Hello, darling, I murmured. Nathan was preoccupied, and the two men conferred in an undertone. It always gave me a shock, 
a pleasurable one, to see Nathan operating. It was a chance to witness a different, disengaged aspect of the man I knew at home, and it held an erotic charge. It reminded me that he had a separate, distinct existence, and that I did too. Nathan, I touched his arm, I was going to ring. We are due at the restaurant at eight. He started. Rose, <laughs> I was thinking of something else. Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll see you later. Sure. I waved at him and Peter as the doors closed. He didn't wave back. I thought nothing of it. As deputy editor of a daily paper published by the Vistamax Group, Nathan was a busy man. Friday was a day packed with meetings, and more often than not, he stumbled back to Lakey Street wrung out and exhausted. If the look on his face was anything to go by, and after twenty-five years of marriage I knew Nathan, this was a bad Friday. The lift bore me upwards. Jobs and spouses held things in common. With luck, you found the right one at the right time. You fell in love with a person or a job, tied the knot and settled down to the muddle and routine that suited you. I admit it wasn't entirely an accident that Nathan and I worked for the same company, an electronics giant which also published several newspapers and magazines under its corporate umbrella, but I like to think that I'd won my job on my own merits or, if that wasn't precisely true, that I kept it on my own merits. Poppy hated what Nathan and I did. Now twenty-two, she'd stopped laughing and believed that lives should be useful and lived for the greater good, or she did at the last time of asking. Why contribute to a vast, wasteful process like a newspaper, she wanted to know, an excuse to cut down trees and print hurtful rubbish? When I returned to the office, Minty was talking on the phone, but when she saw me, she ended the conversation. I'll talk to you later. Bye. She resumed typing with a heightened colour. I sat down at my desk and dialed Nathan's private line. I know you're about to go into the meeting, but are you all right? Yes, of course I am. It's just, well, you looked worried. No more or less than usual. Anyway, why the touching concern all of a sudden? I just wanted to make sure nothing had happened. You mean you wanted to be first with the gossip? Nathan! But he put the phone down. Sometimes, I addressed the photograph, he is impossible. Normally, Minty would have said something like, men, who needs them? Instead, she took me by surprise and said sharply, Nathan is a very nice man. Knocked off my guard, I took a second or two to answer. Nice people can be impossible. They can also be taken for granted. There was a short, uncomfortable silence, because what she said held an element of truth. Nathan and I were busy people, Nathan increasingly so. After a moment, I tried to smooth it over. We're losing a page because there's a demolition job going in. Bad luck to them. Minty stared out of the window. So it goes on. Again, it was unlike Minty not to demand, Who? Who? And I tried again. Are you going shopping this evening? I smiled. Bond Street? She made a visible effort. I may be getting too fat. It was a private joke. Bond Street catered for size eight. Since Minty possessed fawn-like slender limbs, a tiny waist and no bosom, this was fine. But I was forced to shop in Oxford Street, where the stores grudgingly accepted that size 14 did exist. 
Ergo, together we formulated the law of retail therapy. The larger your size, the further from the city centre a woman is forced to forage. Apart from that, Minty and I suffered, and in our narrow retail culture I mean suffered, from big feet. And the question of where to find shoes for women who had not taken a life's vow to ignore fashion was a source of happy, fruitful speculation. I had to make a decision between two reviews, because one had to be sacrificed. The latest and brilliant book on brain activity. In it, the author argued that every seven years our brain cells were renewed and replenished, and we became different people. This seemed a quietly revolutionary idea, which would have clerics and psychotherapists shuddering as they contemplated being put out of business. Yet it also offered hope and a chance to cut chains that bound someone to a difficult life or personality. However, if I published the piece, I would have to drop the review of the latest novel by Anna West, who was going to sell in cartloads anyway. I rang features. Carol answered, and I asked her if they were running a feature on Anna West. Actually, we are. This issue, big piece. Have you got a problem? I might have to spike our review, so I wanted to make sure there was coverage in Publication Week. Leave it to us, said Carol, delighted that features would have the advantage over books. I worked quickly to rearrange the two remaining pages, allocating top placing to the seven-year brain cycle theory. As the afternoon wore on, the telephone rang less and less, which was perfectly normal. Minty dealt with her pile of books and transferred them to the postbasket. At five o'clock, she made us both a mug of tea and we drank it in a silence that I considered companionable. On my way home, I slipped into St. Benedictus. I felt in need of a moment of stillness.